Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. One nineteen p.m. It is one nineteen p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the Ooh, it's a very unlucky day. It's thir- It's the 13th of December, 2022. This episode, what, 653 of Bitcoin and? Is that what it is? is it- Hold on. Let me, I got to find out because it's just, just stupid. 653, episode 653 of Bitcoin and. Like I said, it's kind of an unlucky day. Not for me. Unless my name was Sam. We'll get into that shit, but uh, first we're going we're gonna to cover some, you know, other news. And believe me, it was actually kind of hard to find other news because of the whole Sam Bankman fried and FTX thing is just, just, oh my God, just yesterday just went absolutely ballistic. So nobody's writing anything but about, you know, FTX. So I, I, did my best to d- dig up some non-FTX stuff for you. But in the back half of the show, we're going to talk about what's going on with Sam Bankman fried CFTC and a couple of other things, of course, uh, as far as FTX and Alameda and all that kind of shit is concerned. But first, I say farewell to my favorite football coach ever. Not that he coached me. I didn't ever play football in college or high school or anything like that. But, you know, for those of you that know me, you know that I don't really get into sports ball, all right? I don't. But I do love me some college ball. I don't care about basketball or baseball or softball or volleyball or any of the other sports balls. But I do have a tendency to care about college football. And specifically, I kind of only give a shit about Texas Tech football, which, you know, Uh, I know that puts me squarely in the nerd camp of, I don't know, just being, you know, all for my alma mater. But I have to say farewell to Coach Mike Leach, who died either early this morning or very late last night from, um, well, having a massive heart attack. Uh, he he, He was coaching Mississippi State. And he had been there for a what, three years or something like that after he got finished with Washington State University. <clears throat> and before Washington State University, he was, you know, he coached like Texas Tech University for like a good nine, 10 years. And he brought that ball club from a laughing stock under Spike Dykes. And it was, it was a laughing stock under Spike Dykes. Believe me, I ha- ask me how I know. <clears throat> okay. Since you asked, I had to sit through that shit because I went to the games. That was one of the fun things to do when you were going to college was go to the football game and sit in the student section and watch all the people get drunk and barf all over each other, right? Because they would do that, and we threw tortillas. But other than that, I had to watch 
game after game of just some of the worst, worst football. I mean, like, we're talking like high school football. Not that if, you know, I mean, come on, it's high school football. What are you going to do? You, I mean, it, it takes a while to get really good at a game. And one of the most sickening things I've ever seen is having to watch and sit through a junior high or a high school football game. But college, hey, you start getting your shit together in college, right? You start making some serious moves. Well, not under Spike Dykes. No, no. And he had been Texas Tech's football coach for years. And they finally, he finally, I guess he retired. I don't think they fired him. They waited for him to retire. They pick up a guy named Mike Leach, who he himself had never played a single game of football as far as I know. And he certainly didn't play in college if he did play football. Yet he was one of the very best college football coaches that the world has ever seen. And if you deny that or think that I'm being, you know, just kind of hubristic there, think again. This guy has won several awards. He built, he built quarterbacks. And not only did he build quarterbacks from the ground up and goddamn good ones too, by the way, he built up wide receiving and quarterback pair teams, the likes of which nobody can do. Only a mad scientist like Coach Leach could actually pull that shit off, especially for somebody who never himself played college ball. And he brought Texas Tech within an inch of being ready for national championships. He did. Until Texas Tech University did what? They floated his ass down the river. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. With the only reason we can figure out why Texas Tech University's athletic department, bonehead fuckers that they were, and probably still are, by the way, that they would float their best football coach down the river, the guy that brought them national recognition, the guy who was the only reason why College Game Day put their set on Texas Tech's campus for the first time was because of how good Texas Tech football had become as a ball club. And that was all Mike Leach. And... It was just, it was stupendous to watch those games. It was the most fun I'd ever had going and sitting in those games, even though at, by that time I kind of, you know, I kind of wasn't a student anymore. I have my last time I was a student at Texas Tech was his second year of being a coach, and he was having to start with a lot of dregs. It was by the fourth year that he was really, he got that ball club up and running. And I started going and seeing and paying full non-student price for those tickets. And boy, oh boy, it was worth every damn cent to watch that quarterback core and their wide receiving core, not to mention the defense. The defense coordinator at the time, can't remember his name, was really good. And it was a fun game. It was the first time I'd ever gone to a Texas Tech game that was actually fun. And every season that Coach Leach was there was fun. The reason they sold him down the river, when you think about that whole thing, why would you just all of a sudden bake a cake for Coach Leach that was basically a poison pill? It seems that it was all centered on the fact that he was interested in pirates. And the student body got wind of the fact that he was interested in pirates. And the next thing you knew, a few years later down the line, the college bookstore inside the student union building 
was selling pirate gear with Texas Tech stuff on it. I mean, it had Texas Tech logo and there was pirate stuff all in the same store. That's bad branding. And the Texas Tech Athletic Department, instead of trying to figure out a way, instead of trying to figure out a fucking way to make it work, sent him down the river. And he ended up at Washington State where he did the exact same thing that he did at Texas Tech. He took a mediocre football team and turned them into something that could compete at the national scale. And then after he got finished at WSU, he went to Mississippi State or uh, yeah, was it? yeah, Mississippi State. And he did the, he was doing the exact same thing there. And at 61 years old, the day before yesterday, he had a massive heart attack. I don't know why, I don't know how, he wasn't looking good at the end. And I don't know anything. I'm not even going to conjecture about COVID or vaccinations or anything like that. I am just saying Godspeed to the mad scientist that was Coach Mike Leach. Now, let's get into it. I got here. What do I got here first up? Oh, is the Breeze wallet. I mentioned Breeze every once in a while because it was one of the very first people that got into Podcasting 2.0, which if you do need to know and you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. But Breeze was one of the first people that installed a podcasting app inside their wallet. Now, podcasting apps are putting wallets inside their app. But Breeze was one of the first people that took Podcasting 2.0 seriously. And now looks like uh, some people are taking them seriously too because Breeze has raised $4.5 million in their first fundraising round, or at least in this fundraising round. And this is Bitcoin Magazine written by BTC Casey. Breeze, a lightning solution service provider, has raised $4.5 million in an oversubscribed. Get it? It's oversubscribed. That means they sold more than they were planning on selling into this fundraising. That's how much interest people are still having in Breeze. Thank God. $4.5 million in an oversubscribed funding round led by Ego Death Capital and Entree Capital. Other industry funds that participated including Hivemind Ventures, Fulger Ventures, Hawk Digital Innovation, and Bitcoiner Ventures. In a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, Bree CEO Roy Scheinfeld commented on the company's lightning as a service approach saying, quote, our goal remains to bring lightning to the masses as it was on day one. L-A-A-S, Lightning as a Service, is a natural evolution towards that goal. Conceptually, it's the best way to scale Lightning globally without sacrificing the values and attributes that make Bitcoin history's ultimate currency. The company describes Lightning as a Service as, quote, Breeze's visionary new approach to bringing virtually instantaneous and frictionless Bitcoin micropayments to the global mainstream. In regards to the rise, Jeff Booth, a general partner at Ego Death Capital, stated that, quote, Roy and his team are some of the top Lightning developers on the planet. In addition, Roy's critical thinking skills and execution ability have us super excited to back Roy in his vision of making Lightning as a service a reality. Lightning is a layer two solution, but you all know that we can just move on. Breeze. Breeze started as a Lightning client, providing services such as Lightning point of sale software and a, as aforementioned, native podcast player. Now, Breeze is oriented toward the goal 
of decentralizing the development of new Lightning-based applications and use cases through its non-custodial Lightning Software Developers Kit, SDK. Through its product offerings, Breeze hopes to show that Lightning is the layer two solution to scaling Bitcoin for adoption. Breeze has previously received investments from CT, the Bitcoin-focused subsidiary of Norwegian investment group Acre, and funding from the Human Rights Foundation. So there you go, Breeze trucking along, thank God. Because sometimes, you know, in this space, so many people are developing so much stuff that even the older companies start slipping through the cracks. Because apparently we're all so addicted to marketing that without marketing, our voices can't be heard. We need to change that, but I don't know how. And we have to move on. It's going to be kind of a shorter show, I think, today. Law enforcement requests at Coinbase spike in the last year. And you know Brian Armstrong's going to comply. Or did I say Armstrong? I meant Armstrong. Whatever. Don't care. This is Kate Irwin writing it for Decrypt.co. Police and government agencies around the world are filing more information requests with crypto exchanges. If Coinbase's latest transparency report is any indication thereof, Coinbase received 66%, 66% more requests from law enforcement agencies worldwide this year compared to 2021, according to the report, which spanned October 1st, 2021 through September 30th, 2022. Coinbase said, it continued to pursue bad actors who engaged in prohibited activity or otherwise abused its products this year. The crypto exchange received 12,320 total requests from law enforcement or government agencies, with 5,304 of those requests coming from within the United States. That's actually kind of odd. That's less than half coming from the United States. I kind of always expect it to be more than half coming from the U.S. Why? Because we're the world police. The United Kingdom issued the second highest number of requests at 1,740, and Germany ranked third highest with 1,668 requests. Spain saw a 940% uptick in requests year over year, and Belgium filed 400% more requests compared to 2021. As for how liberally it reveals customer information to such agencies, Coinbase said it reviews all requests carefully before sharing data. Quote, we carefully review law enforcement and agency requests before providing data to ensure we are honoring our customers' rights over their personal information, the exchange said. Roughly 95% of all law enforcement requests were filed for criminal investigations, according to the report, while the remaining requests were for civil or administrative purposes. In the United States, 55.6% of all requests filed this year were for federal criminal cases, while 33.7% pertained to state or local criminal cases. <clears throat> While many in the cryptocurrency space see privacy as a core value of the industry, Coinbase does not uphold user privacy at all costs. When deemed appropriate, Coinbase said it will provide police or government agencies with user information like users' names, recent login, logout IP addresses, and payment information. In its report, Coinbase asserted that while it does provide user data to agencies in certain circumstances, 
It does not give said agencies any direct access to said user data, suggesting that the information it does supply is repackaged in some manner. Although it honors many requests, the exchange said it might sometimes resist or challenge agency requests depending on the particular circumstances and said it occasionally asks agencies to narrow their requests for user data. It is unclear how many requests Coinbase sought to adjust prior to complying and Coinbase has not responded to Decrypt's request for comment, of course. And they're not going to, by the way. That's, I mean, I wouldn't waste my fucking time. Uh, not because it's decrypt, but just because, dude, they're, they're going to have to do this whether they make a statement about it or not. It's a U.S. company. And, and this is not being an apologist for them. Get your shit off of exchanges and stop using the shitcoin ex- casino and Coinbase automatically, magically disappears. It's amazing. It's like, if you stop shitcoining, all of the shitcoiners die of starvation. It's the most wondrous thing that I can think about. And we're going to get into some more of that here in a few minutes. But since Coinbase is not dead yet, because people are still shitcoining, and they will be alive as long as shitcoiners are shitcoining, then they are going to comply with the United States and the UK and Spain or, or any of the other members of the European Union, at least, and probably Australia. And now you start getting smaller than that. They may just tell you to fuck off. I don't know. Brian Armstrong is still not a good character in for Bitcoin. He doesn't like it because like SBF, he can't control it. So he doesn't like it. And he never has. Because these people are all egomaniacs or something like that. Be that as it may, just be aware. Coinbase and all the rest of the exchanges, not only do they hold your Bitcoin, they hold your personal information and they can tie the two directly together and hand it in a nice little packaged up uh, you know, package with bow on top of it to the IRS, the, I don't know who else, the state, you know, the state agencies that you might've pissed off. I don't know. If you don't use the exchanges, then you don't have problems with your information on the exchanges. I just, you know, wake up guys, stop shit coining and the shit coin companies will die in their tracks. Canada, however, <clears throat> Canada, in the news, to, they're going to prohibit crypto firms from offering leveraged trading to citizens. Not sure how I think about it, honestly. I tell you all the time, don't use leverage. Don't get loans. Don't have your Bitcoin on exchanges and don't deal with shit coinery. I don't know how, else, how plainer I can put it, but that's the way that I normally put it. So you might think that I'd be all happy that Canada is at least trying to you know, make sure their citizenry is safe. And honestly, my first gut reaction is fuck these guys. Why? You should know better yourself. After all the Bitcoin maximalists have been telling you all the time to not use exchanges, to hold your own keys, to not take loans against your Bitcoin or anything else, and to, for God's sakes, don't use leverage, then y'all should know by now not to do any of those things. And for the people that still do those things, you deserve to lose every fucking Bitcoin you ever owned. I'm sorry, I am done. I'm just, I'm just done. I don't know how many more Bitcoiners can put themselves in harm's way by you know, suffering the slings and arrows of everybody that thinks we're just loopy and, you know, I don't know, some kind of sadist or we just hate technology like a Luddite. 
you know, there's only so many insults that we can suffer before we just like, you know what, fine, go get yourself burned. I don't care. But leverage trading, that one, that one's toxic. It's radioactive. So let's find out what Canada is thinking about here. Alice Key got it for decrypt. Crypto platforms applying for registration in Canada will have to agree to tighter rules in the country, including a full ban on margin and leverage trading. Firms will also have to hold the assets of Canadian clients separately from their proprietary businesses, according to expanded terms outlined by the Canadian Securities Administrators on Monday. Crypto businesses were told in August that they needed to submit a pre-registration undertaking to operate while pursuing full registration. A deadline by which PRUs must be received has not yet been announced, but will be communicated to platforms, quote, shortly, a CSA release said. But in light of what the CSA called recent events in the crypto market, read FTX, a PRU will commit platforms to an enlarged set of rules and requirements. The CSA said, quote, crypto trading platforms giving these undertakings agree to comply with expanded terms and conditions that will include, among other things, requirements to hold Canadian clients' assets with an appropriate custodian and segregate these assets from the platform's proprietary business, as well as a prohibition on offering margin or leverage for any Canadian client. As part of Monday's announcement, the CSA reiterated its stance that crypto assets are highly speculative. Quote, even with the adoption of these measures, crypto assets or financial products related to crypto assets are high risk investments, the statement said. Quote, these risks could result from, among other things, crypto trading platform non-compliance with registration terms and conditions and undertakings, interconnectedness within the crypto sector, insolvency hacks, price volatility, and uncertain value propositions for individual assets. End quote. Canadian authorities have taken a largely skeptical view of cryptocurrencies. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, <coughs> blackface, has attacked opponents for promoting questionable, reckless economic ideas when it comes to crypto. While the country's central bank warned that Bitcoin and other tokens are no way to opt out of inflation. Mm -hmm. Earlier this year, the government expanded anti-terrorism legislation to block Bitcoin donations to the so-called Freedom Convoy uh, protests against COVID restrictions. Meanwhile, securities regulators have been cracking down on unregistered firms, calling out major platforms like KuCoin and Binance, they'll come back to haunt later, by name for failing to get authorization. But none of this has stopped local pension funds from being hit by some of the biggest blowups in crypto this year, with the Casse de Depot having invested $150 million into collapsed lender Celsius, while the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan had $95 million evaporate in FTX. Yeah, so it's gone, it, and it's gone, just gone, it's just gone. Bitcoin Magazine, Bitcoin exemplifies fair and transparent rules. It's an opinion editorial by Tim Niemeyer from Bitcoin Magazine. Let's pretend we're playing a game of baseball. Aside from the occasional blind umpire, the rules are <clears throat> fairly fair and consistent. In our particular game though, let's pretend I'm not the only opposition, but also I'm the umpire. 
and I'm the rule maker as well as the historian. When you score a run, I can overturn the call. After the game, I can change whatever rule could have prevented your run in my favor. Just for good measure, and because I can, I strike your run from the record books. How long would you want to play before you chose to quit and play a different game? There may be some that prefer playing a game where the central authority makes the call. Seems legit. Neither team has ultimate control, so it should be fair, right? In this situation, both sides must or should agree to not only the rules, but who makes and enforces the rules. Unfortunately, human nature creeps in, handshakes are made, backdoor agreements are done, and before you know it, one team is colluded with the central authority to gain some level of control over the rule set. When a game like this happens, where one side benefits from being nearer to the source of control, we claim that the game is rigged. It's rigged, bitches! Everyone, regardless of political orientation, has witnessed numerous situations where the, quote, other side has seemed to rig the game in their favor. The easy route is to blame the other side, call them bad, evil, or cheaters. The fault lies, though, in the way the game was set up in the first damn place. If two sides were playing a game and I walked up wanting to play, what options would I have? If I had friends on one side, I could jump right in with them. If I were a little bit more optimistic, I could watch an inning and determine which side is currently dominating and then join that side. This becomes an endless cycle of not playing the game, but playing the game inside of the game. Tug of war over the rule book, as it were. As I watch this game more intensely, I observe many players looking like they don't even want to be playing. They look, by choice or unconscious habit, like they just are going through the motions because they either don't realize that the game is rigged, or they do in fact realize the game is rigged, and they just keep on playing and hoping their side somehow seizes control of the rulebook. It seems like there's a lot of disillusioned spectators. I wonder if they can sense it's a rigged game. <clears throat> the more I watch this game, I notice the player spending an unnecessary amount of time not actually playing the game, but rather bickering over balls and strikes. Each inning is more about debating the rules than it is playing the actual game itself, and I wonder why they choose to keep fighting over their game. And then I see one of the multitude of rules posted. You must play this game only. Players are not allowed to make their own game or their own rules. <laughs> At this point, I scoff and walk away. The game just loses all appeal. Why would I choose to play a game that I don't have any say over if or how I get to play it or not? Can I consider it a game if I'm coerced to play by an ever-changing rule set manipulated by players with clout and connections? doesn't seem fair. What's not fair about it is not the outputs, but the inputs. When the inputs are subject to change by whomever is the most politically connected, the outputs become increasingly distorted. This is not a game I am willing to play. What if when I first walked up to the game that's already playing, I am perceptive enough to notice that it was already rigged. And then I looked across the way and noticed another game. As I watched this game, I notice all players are there voluntarily. Although they have friends playing in the rigged, top-down created game, they've chosen to play a game in a fair, bottom-up created game where the rules were set prior to gameplay. No one, regardless of power, status, or hierarchy, has the ability to change the rules, and the rules are enforced by an impartial observer. This newer, fairer game is, in fact, Bitcoin. 
As venerable gigabrain Robert Breedlove states, quote, in games, fixed rules lead to peaceful gameplay. If you're spending time fighting over the rules of the game, then you're not playing the game. You're engaged in politics. In economics, such fighting lessens aggregate wealth creation. Bitcoin is fixed rules fixing economics, end quote. As far as this meager rules-based article is concerned, spoiler alert, Bitcoin is the ultimate tool to compensate us for our time and energy in the way that is moral, unconvoluted, incentivized, and unwaveringly enforced. (sighs) On the other hand, fiat and now central bank digital currencies are in stark contrast. While you may want a game's rules to be set and consistently enforced, enforced with no entity able to change the rules to benefit themselves, the centralized rule set of fiat and CBDCs are ever-changing, ever-growing, and immorally incentivized to benefit those with the control. While aiming for a monetary system that is equal is admirable, it presupposes, <laughs> it presupposes that the people creating the rules will not succumb to human nature and adjust the rules to benefit themselves and their immediate circle jerk. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I meant just circle. Uh, can you criticize fiat and eventually CBDC umpires without getting kicked out of the game? Well, you can just ask truck drivers in North, northern North America, or rather non-violent citizens in Europe. Furthermore, allowing a central authority to change the rules at their whim, we're allowing damage, damaging incentives to enter the game. This manipulates basic market economic sig- signals, which distorts reality. When one small group has the ability to choose who plays, permission to spend, Adjusting pitch clocks, money expiration, have only one scoring card, centralized node, inconsistently enforced, unpredictable policy, or scoring based on perceived niceness, social credit scores, you create a game that's immoral, convoluted, incentively misaligned, and inconsistently enforced. Bitcoin Well, Bitcoin fixes this. It's a fair game. It's ironic that early Bitcoiners were ones who disregarded legacy rules to opt for a fair rule-based system, rules without rulers, you know? Playing the game of Bitcoin, you can play knowing the rules are fair. You know, you can spend without permission or expiration. You can have ownership over the rules by running your own node and securely self-custodying your Bitcoin, and you can play the game more freely with predictable and set rules, fixed supply, monetary policy. You can do all this by simply opting out of the current centralized game of fiat and its digital kissing cousins, CBDCs. Thank you for reading. If you enjoyed it, please share with your normie, pre-coiner, and non-technical friends. I'll leave you with a quote from one of my favorite books, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein. Quote, I will accept any rules that you feel necessary to your freedom. I am free no matter what rules surround me. If I find them tolerable, I tolerate them. If I find them too obnoxious, I break them. I am free because I know that I alone am morally responsible for everything that it is that I do. End quote. Hallelujah, brother. Now, last up, Binance Exchange Daily BTC Withdrawals Top $500 million, as CZ says, FUD helps us grow. Cointelegraph, William Suberg, 
Bitcoin withdrawals from the largest crypto exchange, Binance, have passed $500 million in the past 24 hours as its CEO calls out FUD. Data from on-chain monitoring resource CoinGlass shows that Binance's BTC balance decreased by over 30,000 BTC on December the 13th. God, Jesus Christ. The latest hotspot for fallout from the FTX debacle, Binance's joint exchanges seeing an exodus of user funds. It's about freaking time. According to CoinGlass, users withdrew 30,300 BTC in the 24 hours to the time of writing, this accounting for the majority of the week's 40,150 BTC total withdrawal. The abnormal behavior comes as Binance battles what its CEO, Shangpeng Zhao, also known as CZ, blanketed as FUD on social media. As Cointelegraph reported, nerves initially became frayed after a report in Reuters suggesting that the exchange would become a target of the United States money laundering lawsuit. Zhao denied this, sharing a statement from Binance refuting the report's claims. Thereafter, however, Reports of major token withdrawals by Justin Sun, CEO and founder of Tron, exacerbated tensions. Gonna pause. Gonna pause. Is it possible that CZ is getting eaten by his own game? He's the one that, that saw the hole and he took the kill shot. How fucking embarrassing would it be if he lit that little Korean teenage looking son of a bitch, Justin Sun, do the exact same thing to him. My God, what a badge of shame. Well, let's continue anyway. Despite Zhao likewise taking critics to task and Sun performing a $100 million deposit back to Binance, users were quick to remove their own funds from their accounts. A temporary suspension of certain withdrawals of Binance stablecoin BUSD were ongoing at the time of writing. Quote, FUD, it helps us grow. Even though they are thoroughly annoying, Zhao wrote in his latest Twitter thread on the topic, quote, you can FUD about someone without explicitly mentioning their name, which spreads awareness. It also helps unite their supporters because, because it forms a common defense alliance, end quote. The events mimic those from earlier in the FTX debacle when exchange users in mass took custody of their funds at the time, however, Binance's BTC balance actually increased. BTC price action continued unaffected by the Binance panic, and yada, 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 yada. Uh, but Binance's in-house token BNB, it actually did recover from a brief dip to nearly $250, its lowest level since uh, November 22nd. On social media, old hands appear just as cool on the episode, quote, if you're looking to minimize the market impact on your BNB sales, I will happily buy one from you at $22. <laughs> Popular trader Pintoshi joked as the FUD precipitated BNB USD pair weakness. So yeah, it's possible. I said yesterday, I said yesterday that I doubt that Binance will go under, but that I could be wrong. I very well may be wrong. I still think, though, I still have, I mean, it's not impossible that CZ is just as stupid as anybody else. I've just never seen him do something stupid before. Not really. I mean, I've, I've seen him be really savvy. 
you know, real, I mean, he really thinking he's, he's, he's an, one of the longest lived survivors of the Bitcoin exchange game. You got to give credit where credit is due. And I have a certain amount of respect for him because of his obvious self-interest. He's, he's a fighter. He's a survivor. I still think though, I could very well be wrong. Now, would I be happy that I was wrong? Not really. But I also won't be sad if I'm wrong. I would just end up being wrong. Nothing wrong with being wrong, but it will cause problems. Undoubtedly, it will cause problems. But like, you know, so many people have said over the, especially over the last day, as we see more and more Bitcoin flowing out of Binance, and we are, this is, I mean, it's like, it's like 2000 Bitcoin an hour, every hour on the hour are just, they're going away. And as far as anybody can tell, they're not getting dumped on Kraken. They're not being put on other exchanges. We have, that doesn't mean it's not happening. It just means that we're not seeing it yet. And I hope we don't see that because it's about goddamn time. Everybody fucking learns to get, when we say get your shit off of an exchange, we don't mean get it off of one exchange to put it on another exchange. We mean get it off of all exchanges. And, and, and here's the question. And this, this is the best question. But what will the exchanges do? I don't know. Hopefully they catch on fire and burn to ash. Because this was never supposed to be about a shitcoin casino that lasted forever. I was hoping that we would never see this. All these, I mean, I don't even like Kraken. And I, I kind of like Jesse Powell. I mean, he's done some stupid shit as of late. But generally speaking, he's always been on Bitcoin's side. But then you got to ask yourself, well, how, can, how much on Bitcoin's side can he be if he runs a shitcoin exchange? Because that's what Jess Powell does. He runs a shitcoin, or he ran. I think he stepped down, but he ran a shitcoin exchange. CZ, he's a shitcoiner. All the rest of the exchanges, the only reason they exist is because for whatever reason, people think Doge has value. And they want to exchange one shitcoin or God forbid their Bitcoin to procure said shitcoin and who gets a cut of that? The exchange. The only reason these people exist at all is because the paras- their parasitic nature attracts them to the sick and the diseased like most parasites are attracted to. Hell, even wolves won't take down the healthiest cow that they see. They're going to look for something sick and diseased. And you know who's sick and diseased when it comes to the human race? The greedy, the immoral, and the fucking stupid. I'm not talking ignorant. I'm talking stupid. Look at... This coin's going to be the next Bitcoin and I'm in on the ground floor. You, you, you're in the fucking elevator shaft on the ground floor and you're going to go to the basement without an elevator. That's where you're going to go. So stop all this nonsense. Get your shit off of exchanges and don't put it on a different exchange. Sell all of your shit coins for Bitcoin and starve the parasite. Be the strong one, not the diseased one. Now, let's run the numbers. Okay, here it is. 
Sam Bankman-Fried has now been denied bail in the Bahamas on FTX fraud charges. That just hit the wire. He's a flight risk, bro. He's a total, total flight risk. And he's on an island. And he's probably got enough pocket change to buy or or rent a yacht or a fishing boat to get off that damn island. And it looks like the authorities are going to have none of it. I don't know, man. I don't know what his parents are going to do, but apparently his parents are like uh, implicated by John J. Ray. Uh, was it John J. Ray the third that's taking care of FTX? Uh, he was the guy that took care of Enron. I saw last night and early this morning that he's made a statement that both of Sam Bankman Fried's parents are on record as taking money from FTX. That's gonna. This is gonna. This is gonna be fun. But first, actual numbers. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is up another 2.88% from yesterday. It is now at $75.28. Brenton North Sea is up 3.23% to $80.51. <clears throat> Natural gas is up another full 5%, 5.71% to be precise. It's about to touch another $7 per thousand cubic feet. And... 3.75% uh, 3 for gasoline, bringing that price back up to $2.15 a gallon. Gold is up 1.68%. Good job, Peter Schiff. And silver up 2.4% to $23.95. Platinum is up 3.63%. Copper up one2 Palladium up 2.75%. Ag is mostly up. Biggest loser is wheat. 0.63% to the downside. Biggest winner is cotton, 2.67% uh, to the upside. Dow, up a third of a point. S&P, up, ooh, three quarters of a point. NASDAQ is up over a full point, and the S&P mini is up 0.62%. Real money chilling out at 17760 bucks. Wow, cool. 1,200 transactions waiting on a single block to clear. We have a 200, nope, nope, $341.6 billion market cap. That is nine point, no, God, I'm having problems today. That is 2.77% of gold's market cap. And you can still only get 9.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, which there is 19,232,829.56 of, and 5,105 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $90.7 million, being run over 15,938 nodes, totaling 70 with a total of 75,352 payment channels and 68.5% of all that shit's going over tour. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. I, I told you when we were running the numbers that the Bahamian, Bahamian uh, government has denied bail for Sam Bankman fried. Well, apparently before that and before they arrested him, they were all cozy with Sam Bankman fried because reportedly they have asked or they asked Sam Bankman fried to mint them a new coin after right after the FTX collapse. Helen Parts, Cointelegraph. We'll see what's going on. The Bahamas government reportedly worked with former FTX CEO Sam Bankman fried to issue a new cryptocurrency controlled by local officials. Following the FTX collapse in November, 
Bahamas government officials reportedly asked Bankman-Fried to mint a new digital asset worth hundreds of millions of dollars, lawyers for FTX said in a court filing. Bloomberg reported on December the 12th. The authorities also reportedly asked the former CEO to transfer the new tokens to the control of island officials. <clears throat> the report also suggests that Bahamas officials tried to help Bankman-Fried regain access to key computer systems of the now defunct FTX trading platform. According to American lawyers, Bahama officials were responsible for directing unauthorized access to FTX systems in order to take over control of digital assets under the supervision of a U.S. court. John J. Ray III, FTX's new CEO and restructuring guy, reportedly watched as someone minted new coins while he and his team attempted to get control of FTX's computer systems. The lawyer's claim further escalates the conflict between FTX restructuring executives in the United States and Bahamian officials. Oh, this is going to be fun. According to U.S. lawyers, liquidators in the Bahamas have asked a U.S. judge for access to FTX data controlled by their American counterparts, including trading data, email records, and other information. <clears throat> Quote, it's a request for live dynamic access that would be provided immediately to the government of the Bahamas and to the misters, M-E-S-S-R-S, -S or misters, the lawyers reportedly wrote in a court filing on Tuesday. In order to support their accusations of alleged cooperation between Bahamian authorities and SBF, the American lawyers mentioned that SBF opened withdrawals for all bah Bahamian clients. On November the 10th, just a day before FTX filed for bankruptcy, the firm said that it started to facilitate withdrawals of Bahamian funds, citing compliance with local regulations. The event resulted in millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency leaving the exchange. While the new report brings more allegations of close ties between FTX and government officials in the Bahamas, of course, other reports also suggest that SBF had connections with the United States government as well. Well, duh. According to some reports, SBF spent about $40 million on supporting Democrats during the races and blah, blah, blah. Tesla CEO Elon Musk has speculated that the amount that SBF actually donated to Democratic uh, candidates was well over $1 billion. The news comes shortly after SBF expressed interest in forming a new project in order to repay up to $50 billion to FTX's creditors. The FTX founder was subsequently arrested in the Bahamas on December the 12th. That was yesterday. Hmm. Sounds like a snafu is, is going to, uh, well, yeah, it's going to muddy the waters quite a bit. This is going to be interesting to see how all this shit plays out. And honestly, it's just, it's going to be a huge mess. I, you know, and honest, my gut, my real gut feeling here is that this rabbit hole may be what, this may be a rabbit hole that we know it's deep. Okay. We know we've just scratched the surface of what's going on here because of all the people that are already connected or possibly compromised by this. And in the different, we're talking about bah Bahamian uh, government officials. We're talking about Republicans and Democrats in the United States, you know, annals of, of the swamp and all that kind of shit. There's more to it. And you know, there is, there's probably connections in Europe. There's definitely connections in the UK. I would imagine. <coughs> we wouldn't imagine, well, wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if Mexico somehow or another was into this, but that's just the surface. 
That's just us scratching around, and sort of like taking the paint off of a lottery ticket, right? I think this very well may be a rabbit hole that they can't fill. And by fill, I mean hide. Like they're gonna let us get down deep enough to satisfy our, our, you know, our need for, you know, saying that us conspiracy theorists were right. And then, but the real truth is gonna be buried. And then we'll get, I don't know, distracted by something else, possibly COVID 2.0, I don't know. But I got a gut feeling that this one, I don't think that they're gonna be able to contain the depth of this rabbit hole being exposed to full sunlight. Again, I've, I fully reserve the right to be wrong as shit about this. I don't know, something tells me that this may be the one. A completely unexpected rabbit hole that exposes all the assholes in the world all at once. And somehow or another, they're not going to be able to stop this one. They've been able to stop everything else. 9-11, looking into Vietnam, uh, that the war, I mean, uh, the Viet, the Vietnam War, you know, America's being the police of the world and all that, all of that shit. I guarantee you there are rabbit holes that are deep to the core of the planet on all that shit, but it was all either forgotten about and, and thankfully we walked away and got distracted by something shiny over there and the officials or whatever were able to come cover it all back up and we never looked back, but this one, Smells different. Not sure if I'm right, but it smells different. Maybe it has something to do with the series of indictments against SBF because they have been unsealed and they contain eight counts of financial and election fraud. Cointelegraph, Derek Anderson. The indictment against Sam Bankman-Fried was unsealed today. December the 13th, the indictment signed by United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Damian Williams, is 14 pages long and contains eight counts. The charges listed against SBF in the indictment are conspiracy to commit wire fraud on customers, wire fraud on customers, conspiracy to commit wire fraud on lenders, wire fraud on lenders, conspiracy to commit commodities fraud, conspiracy to commit securities fraud, conspiracy to commit money laundering, and conspiracy to defraud the United States and violate the campaign finance laws. As a result of the first, four, and seventh counts, SBF is required to forfeit any and all property, real real and personal, that constitutes or is derived from proceeds traceable to the commission of said offenses. If that is not possible, the United States will seek forfeiture of any other property property of the defendants up to the value of the above forfeitable property. Only SBF is named in the indictment, although it refers to individuals known and unknown. The indictment thus combines charges relating to the operation of FTX and Alameda Research with SBF's political activities. The charges under the eighth count include violating laws on contributions, obstructing the Federal Election Commission's functions, making contributions in the name of others and contributions made by organizations prohibited to do so 
under federal law. SBF was arrested in the Bahamas yesterday on the 12th at the request of the United States government. Actually, it was on the request of the Southern District of New York because the United States government, this is me talking here, because the United States government uh, via Maxine Waters is actually kind of fucking pissed off that the district attorney in the Southern District of New York preempted her ass and her little hearing and arrested, had this dude arrested in the Bahamas the day before he was supposed to sit down in front of Maxine Waters by remote. And she, she made, she's making a stink about it too. It makes me wonder how deep the rabbit hole goes. So those are the eight counts that are standing against Sam Bankman-Fried in the Southern District of New York. I don't, I, I kind of don't see how he gets out of this. And the person's named or unknown and unknown. Remember I was telling you that it seems that his parents took money from FTX. They're, they've been deep into the United States government's pockets for a long time. Are they part of the known and unknown? Again, something smells different here, y'all. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one that blows open a lot more than just how stupid shit coinery is. Because it really goes beyond shit coinery, doesn't it? Final word of thought before we leave this one. Get your shit off of exchanges. And if your shit includes something that's other than Bitcoin, while you're getting your shit off exchanges, go ahead, exchange it for Bitcoin and get your Bitcoin off that exchange and into your own wallet. Do not send it to another exchange. Stop with the shit coinery. And tell your friends to stop shit coining too. But the FTX shit show does not end. CFTC has filed a lawsuit of their own against Sam Bankman Fried FTX and Alameda for fraud. Cointelegraph continues the shit show. Uh, who's writing it? Uh, Turner Wright. <clears throat> The United States Commodity Futures and Trading Commission has filed a lawsuit against Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, and Alameda Research claiming violations of the Commodity Exchange Act, and they are demanding a jury trial. Holy shit. According to court records filed today, December the 13th, in the Southern District of New York, the CFTC filed a complaint for injunctive and other equitable relief, as well as civil monetary penalties against Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX Trading, and Alameda Research. The complaint alleges that SBF personally directed FTC executives to set up features allowing Alameda to use the crypto exchange as a line of credit for its lenders. Quote, Contrary to Bankman Fry's representations without disclosure to FTX customers, Alameda and FTX commingled funds and freely used FTX customer funds as if they were their own, including as capital to deploy in their own trading and investment activities, said the CFTC. This is as bad as it can get, guys. On information and belief, a Bankman Fried, his parents, and other FTX and Alameda employees used FTX cust there it is, used FTX customer funds for a variety of personal expenditures, including luxury real estate purchases, private jets, documented and undocumented personal loans, and personal political donations. His parents are part of this. Are Carolyn's parents part of this too? Who's Carolyn? She was CEO of Alameda Research. And it looks like she cut a deal, by the way. 
According to Zero Hedge, this is an aside, but according to Zero Hedge, uh, it looks like Carolyn front ran FT or uh, Sam Bankman Fried, cut a deal with lawyers, and is selling Sam Bankman Fried up the river because oh, almost immediately after she was spotted at a coffee shop in New York City, free as a goddamn bird, and Zero Hedge nailed that one too. They were one of the first people to report it. Sam Bankman Fried's tour of apologies ended. It stopped dead in its tracks. There was no more interviews after she was cited in New York, according to the guys over at Zero Hedge. And then another article came out saying it looks like she's cut a deal and is selling Sam Bankman fried up the river. And sure as shit, a couple of days later, what happens? Yesterday he gets arrested. Today he's denied bail. Mm. And his parents look like they were taking personal loans and got their hands caught in the goddamn kitty jar. I, if anybody, all these people are going to be thrown under the bus, but I don't think that that is going to save United States Congress people that are involved in this from being, or from having the light shown on them as well while they're down in the midst of this rabbit hole. And I think this rabbit hole is going to get blown apart. I don't think it's going to get buried. My gut feeling is that a lot of people are just going to say, you know what? We're just going to do our goddamn jobs. And when they dig into this, it is going to be a shit show for the next three years because more stuff that seemingly completely unrelated. Like it wouldn't surprise me one bit if this caused the whole Pizzagate theory to actually be proven true. Not saying I believe in that. I'm just saying that's where I'm going with this. That this one little rabbit hole that you think is just Alameda Research and FTX commingling funds could actually be the nuclear bomb that rips the entire thing apart and lays bare everybody that had anything ever to do immorally or unethically in the degradation of the United States and the rest of the Western world. I can't put it any plainer than that. Will that happen? I don't know. Hadn't happened yet, but it wouldn't surprise me if some nappy-headed hoe like Sam Bankman fried was the one to pull the goddamn pin of the grenade, and I will laugh myself to sleep for the rest of my life if it turns out to be just that way. Now, the FTX collapse. Um, Wait a minute, hold on. Oh, that's, I'm sorry. That is, for some reason or another, the tab has a different uh, title on here. I'm going to go ahead and let's see. Let's do this one. No, you know what? I'm not going to do either of those because I want you to ruminate on the fact that this may be it. This may be the turning point. You know, I woke up the day before 9-11-2001 and it was like any other day and that day was great. It was a great day because it was like the day before it. You know, we didn't have, what I, you know what I wasn't dealing with? on those days, the, the, the days leading up to 9-11, I wasn't dealing with being treated like a criminal in my own country every time I wanted to get on a plane. I, I wasn't inundated with pronouns. I wasn't inundated with the fact that somebody who clearly did not have the academic credentials to be a nuclear waste disposal expert being in the Department of Energy and then being a fucking freak, I'm sorry, but a fucking freak 
And we find out it's worse because he, she, it, they, them, whatever the fuck that thing refers to itself as was stealing luggage. Luggage. Uh, you're talking about the chief head honcho of nuclear waste disposal. If you think that that's a janitorial job, I got news for you, pal. It's not. And yet I see no indication that this person had any credentials whatsoever to be able to guide themselves, much less them guiding other people on how to properly catalog and account for and dispose of something as vile and lethal as nuclear waste. This is the clown show that I live in now. And that clown show was not there the day before 9-11. But ever since the day of 9-11, it has been an ever-expanding clown show. I will be thankful to God and all the hosts of angels if it turns out that this nappy-headed hoe is the grenade that blows it all apart. I... I'm actually going to be hopeful that it is, in fact, going to be that way. Will I be disappointed if it turns out again that we'll that we get the entire thing contained and it's all cleaned up and scrubbed up again? Yes, I will be disappointed. I just hope beyond all manner of hoping that I can do that this fucking one time that these assholes are finally put to rest and buried six foot under, and I mean all of them. Every single person that had anything to do with any of the chicanery after 9-11 and the day of 9-11, because I, I don't know if George W. Bush was like Wiley Coyote and had the plunger behind, you know, one of the other buildings and was he, 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 and then pushed the plunger down. I don't care. I don't care if it was organic or designed. I don't give a shit. All I know is that a whole lot of questions never got answered. And it's been a cause for an ever-expanding clown show in a country whose people I love. I tell you to do your part, but I don't know what your part is. You have to figure that out for yourself. Me, I'm just going to continue to be a loudmouth every goddamn day. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.